Today on Ag News Daily. It basically means that, you know, an increase of an inoculum, susceptible hybrids on the landscape, plus these favorable weather conditions, all this moisture that we've had, and those three factors come together in what we call the disease triangle. Good afternoon and welcome to a Thursday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by no one today. I am all by my lonesome as Delaney is traveling to, I believe it was North Dakota today. She's just been doing so much running around the U.S. I lose track of her sometimes. But she is there with the Bankers Association, so she is not going to be joining me today. I'm just talking to thin air at the moment, but I am going to go ahead and just kick things off with some news. Don't really have any life updates for you guys, so unfortunately, this is not the Ashton show today. So I'm going to go ahead and talk about the USDA. They have rolled out a new insurance program for small farms that sell locally. The micro farm policy is based on research directed by the 2018 Farm Bill and the Risk Management Agency will make it available for the 2022 crop year. It will be offered through whole farm revenue protection and no expense or individual commodity reporting will be required. Revenues from post-production costs like washing and packaging commodities and value-added products will be allowed. The microfarm policy is available to producers who earn $100,000 or less for carryover insureds, an average allowable revenue of $125,000 or less. RMA research shows that 85% of producers who sell locally made less than $75,000 in gross sales. So I think this new policy is definitely going to help out those producers who sell locally in some of those smaller producing farms. So good news there if you are included in that. I'm going to kick things over here to South America. We've seen some things roll out concerning JBS. Um, we've been kind of watching the story about cattle buying and where JBS South America has really getting their cattle um, because deforestation and those kinds of things have really been an issue. And it has been reported that nearly a third of the cattle bought by JBS SA in the Brazilian Amazon state of Pará came from ranches with irregularities such as illegal deforestation found in a 2020 audit that was released earlier today. In a presentation, federal prosecutors said that they were negotiating improvements with companies such as JBS with unsatisfactory or worsening performance in the audit, which analyzed cattle transactions between January 2018 and June of 2019. JBS hasn't commented yet, but these findings add to growing concerns that JBS contributes to deforestation of the Amazon rainforest by buying cattle from those illegally cleared lands in the Amazon. Faced with these accusations, JBS reached a settlement with prosecutors back in 2013 in which the company agreed not to buy cattle from ranches that were cleared illegally since 2018 or otherwise blacklisted for environmental crimes. JBS also agreed in that settlement to stop buying cattle from ranchers that were blacklisted for engaging in slave labor, occupying indigenous land, and violating environmental preserves. Prosecutors monitoring that agreement found that JBS had improved its compliance in a 2019 audit when 8% 
of cattle bought by the company came from ranches with irregularities down from 19% in 2018. That's 50% in just a year. However, that ratio jumped to 32% or more than 300,000 head of cattle in the 2020 audit that was presented earlier today. So some pretty concerning numbers there. I'm anxious to see if and when JBS does come out and say something about this because they've been in a couple of different situations this year alone. So I'm not sure where that kind of puts them. Talking more here about South America, Brazil's CONAB is projecting record corn and soybean production this year, anticipating increased planted area for beans and corn and improved yields for corn crop. That will depend highly on weather, of course. Soybean and first crop corn planting is underway currently with good early rain coverage in many areas, but the expected La Nina pattern would likely trim yields. Of course, we're paying attention to La Nina. Just talked about that yesterday on the podcast because we we're expected, at least here in the U.S., to see a sharp turnaround in temperatures but CONAB sees bean production at 140.75 million tons, 3.43 million tons above 2020 crop, and pegs the first crop corn at 28.31 million tons, which is an increase of 3.58 million tons, with total corn production at 116.3 million tons which would then be 29.31 million tons higher. There's a lot of numbers that I just threw at you, so take a moment to digest those. Brazil's critical second corn crop is planted after soybeans are harvested, so we don't have anything there yet. But talking over here about wheat, 22.6% of Brazil's wheat crop is currently harvested with production estimates at 8.19 million tons. Conab is also projecting increased cotton production for Brazil and a slight decrease for rice. The USDA's next set of domestic and global supply, demand, and production estimates is out on Tuesday, so I'm sure I'm going to have a lot more numbers to throw at you. Probably going to be Delaney throwing those at you this time, but just another thing to keep on your calendars. I just have one other thing to talk about today, and it's concerning U.S. exports. It has been said that it's an open question if U.S. ag exports were as large as forecasts in fiscal 2021, but a running tally by the USDA says that they were the largest ever. Shipments to foreign buyers totaled $160.2 billion with one month to go in the fiscal year, topping the record of $156.8 billion set in fiscal 2014. So we are up by quite a bit. The USDA has forecast exports of $173.5 billion in fiscal 2021, thanks to a recovery in corn and soybean exports, strong demand for beef and pork, and sustained and rising demand for fruits and veggies. Another major factor was, of course, the return of China as the number one customer for ag exports following the de-escalation of the trade war, and sales to China were forecast to double in 2021 to a record $35 billion. To meet this forecast of $173.5 billion in exports by the end of this fiscal year, some $13.5 billion in sales would have to be reported for September. Now that we're out of September, I'm anxious to see if we did meet that goal or that expectation. 
And sales have averaged about $13.9 billion for the past six months, but totaled a smaller $12.6 billion in August. So it could go either way, according to USDA economist Bart Kenner. The data for September exports will be available in November. So again, just another thing that we're going to have to put on our calendars to wait and see if we did meet this expectation. But one thing that we don't have to anticipate here is how the markets ended for today because we do have those numbers in. And I've got to say the corn futures were mixed midday today. So I am ready to see how they ended we're going to go ahead and start out here in the corn contract. The December up one and three quarter cents to close at 534. The March up two cents to close at 553. In soybeans, front month up five and a quarter cent to close at 1247 and a quarter. The January up five and three quarter cents to close at 1258 and a quarter. In spring week, the December up one and three quarter cents to close at 940 and three quarters. The March up two cents to close at 929 and three quarters. Heading over into livestock green across the screen for the first time this week here, starting things out in live cattle. The October up a dollar 45 to close at 125, 27 and a half. The December up a dollar 87 and a half to close at 130 and 10 cents. Heading over into feeder cattle here. The October closing $3.55 higher at $160.35. The November closing $3.47.5 higher at $161.60. In lean hogs, the October up $0.22.5 close at $89.85. The December up $0.30 close at $82.25. Rounding things out with our Class 3 dairy milk futures, the October down $0.13 close at $18.02. The November up $0.17 close at $18.76. And the December up eight cents to close at 1827. With that, I'm going to kick things over to my conversation about Tar Spot with Allison Robertson. Well, today we are talking to Allison Robertson, who is a professor and extension field crops pathologist. Allison, thank you so much for joining us to talk about Tar Spot today. Um, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. So, Allison, let's go ahead and get started talking about tar spot here. A lot of people have been talking about it. There's been quite a few farmers who have seen it in their fields. But for those who haven't really been keeping up or don't really know what tar spot is, can you kind of give us a little bit of a clearer definition? Sure. So um, tar spot is a disease that occurs on corn and it mainly affects the leaves although you can occasionally see it on the husks of the ears. And um, tar spot is, um, it, it basically, the disease gets its name tar spots because what you'll see on the leaves are all these um, spots, which um, can be round, but more often than not, they're kind of irregular in shape. They're pretty small. Um, I would say that maybe I've seen a few of those spots get um, kind of elongated as long as maybe half an inch. But for the most part, they're, you know, probably a quarter of an inch long and then just kind of this irregular shape scattered all over the leaf. And so it kind of looks like tars just got splattered onto the leaves of the corn plant. 
So Allison, like I mentioned before, there's been quite a few farmers who have reported having an outbreak of tar spot. So why is that? Why are we seeing a, a surplus of producers identifying tar spot in their crop? That's a great question. So I guess I want to step back a little bit and say that tar spot is a new disease. Um, it was first reported in the United States in 2015. So, you know, we've only had, um, this is our sixth growing season with tar spot. Um, it was reported in Indiana. And um, since then, it has spread um, and continued to spread north, south, east, and west. Um, so um, in 2015, or could have been 2016, it was reported in Florida. And then um, this year, 2021, it's been reported in Georgia. But for the most part, it's it, the, um, the disease is mainly um, centered around those states, around the Great Lakes. And now um, throughout Iowa, um, um, south into Missouri, up into Minnesota, um, so yeah, just expanding that way. The reason why we've seen so much of it this year um, is a really great question. So one of the things about why we may have seen an increase in it this year is just a buildup of inoculum, right? Every year that we have the disease, that means that that pathogen infects the corn and then um, produces, reproduces, right? And so we get more and more of the inoculum and that inoculum can survive in corn residue. And so with our um, no-till practices or even our conservation tillage that we have, there's a lot of corn residue lying, you know, on, on the ground in the United States for good reason. Um, but it, you know, it contains this inoculum. So that could be one of the reasons why we've seen this increase. The other, the other reason um, is environment. And so most diseases that occur on corn leaves um, require moisture and um, temperature. And so we used to think that tar spot preferred cooler temperatures, but looking back on this season, it might prefer cool and warm temperatures, but it does need a lot of moisture. And so I know here in Iowa, um, we were in an extreme drought in many parts of the state, um, but the rest of the Corn Belt has had very good rains. And so that has probably that has more than likely contributed to the disease that we've seen. And then the last thing that I'll just bring up is that um, all of the corn hybrids that we're growing are susceptible to this disease um, because it's only been around for such a short time. Um, the corn breeders have not had the time to um, develop, to find resistance to the disease and therefore to breed it into those commercial varieties. And so it basically means that, you know, an increase of an inoculum, susceptible hybrids on the landscape, plus these favorable weather conditions, all this moisture that we've had, and those three factors come together in what we call the disease triangle. And therefore, we've had this huge outbreak of tar spot. Wow, I didn't realize that tar spot was still relatively young. I mean, 2015, it seems yeah. like it was a while ago, but to be able to, you know, really get in there and kind of dissect this disease and learn more about it, I mean, that takes time. So there's still exactly. obviously 
obviously yeah. things that we're still learning, just like you mentioned there with um, the temperatures and those kinds of things. So have we really learned how we can mitigate the spread of this yet? So, I mean, one of the things that we do know is that fungicides that we apply to corn, so most of the fungicides that are applied to corn for control of gray leaf spot or northern corn leaf blight or southern rust, those fungicides are also effective against tar spot. So we are able to use fungicides at the moment to control the, the, the disease. Um, as you mentioned, it's a new disease, right? And so we're still learning. And we've got a ton to learn about this disease. And one of the things that we need to learn is when to apply those fungicides. So, for example, in this year, um, the disease came in very early before the corn had started to tassel. And so what we found in, or at least what my colleagues have found out east in their fungicide trials is that putting on two applications, one before the corn tasseled and one after the corn tasseled, really helped manage this disease, reduce the amount of disease on the leaves and protect the yield. But that was this year, right? Last year, the disease came in later. It came in after testing. And so last year, an application of fungicide, one application of fungicide after testing really helped manage the disease. And so that's what we're we're at at the moment. Yes, we can use fungicides to control the disease, but fungicides cost money, right? And so now we're down to when is the best time to apply this fungicide? And I think that what we're learning is it's going to vary from year to year. Gotcha. And you mentioned yield there. What is the yield impact looking like this year, maybe compared to, you know, the average of the years before? What are we really looking at from a yield standpoint? Well, you know, here in Iowa, Tar spot was a problem in some fields along the, um, the eastern border, you know, near the Mississippi River. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. I'm just taking a wild guess here. But, I mean, I can imagine like maybe 20% yield loss. But I know for folks further east, Indiana, central, central Illinois, Michigan, um, they're looking at yield reductions that are much, much higher. I want to say 50 to 60% of yield loss oh, wow. due to this disease. It's, it's huge. Um, yeah, my colleagues out east are um, really struggling with it at the moment. So the way it reduces yield is, first of all, you know, it, it reduces photosynthesis by the leaves. And so you don't have all those photosynthates going to the leaf, going to the grain to fill the grain. So that's one thing. The other thing is when that leaf gets very um, heavily infected, um, the whole plant just shuts down. We've see, I, I've heard of cases in Michigan where a field has just shut down within a couple of weeks and, you know, and really it had another three or four weeks of grain fill and it just shut down within two weeks of grain fill. So you don't have all that grain fill. And then the other thing, and that will contribute to yield losses that the standability or this, there's so much stalk rot in these fields with heavy tar spot um, infections that we get a lot of lodging. And then um, so we get grain losses from the lodging as well. So what can we do when we're harvesting crop that has been affected by tar spot? Is there anything special to note or do differently? 
Um, really, I would say that if you have a field that's heavily infected with tar spot, you want to get in there and harvest it as soon as as soon as you can. Um, maybe it's going to be higher moisture, but um, the reason why you want to get in sooner rather than later is because you want to avoid harvesting pickup sticks, right? But other than that, um, no. Um, I guess you know the grain's going to be lower test weight and. Um, you know, maybe lighter. So there might need to be some adjustments made on the combine. But yeah, you know, from from a plant pathologist's point of view, I say just get in there and harvest it as, as quickly as possible. So well, folks, you heard it here first. If you haven't begun harvesting already, maybe you should hop to it. But Allison, thank you so much for coming on today. If any of our audience members want to know a little bit more about Tar Spot or reach out to you for any pathology questions, how can they get in touch with you? I'm always happy to take questions. So um, they can contact me at Iowa State. Um, my Email address is allisonr at iastate.edu, and Allison has one L. Um, they're also, you're, they can also call me, um, 515-294-6708. And then they can also go to a website, cropprotectionnetwork.org, and that website has a lot of information about um, TARSPOT for um for folks so those are the you know please feel free to contact me otherwise um, visit that website awesome well allison thank you once more for coming on and talking to us today we definitely appreciate it you're very welcome thank you for having me Thanks again there to Allison for coming on and chatting about tar spot with us. I was really surprised to hear that tar spot is such a new disease really here in the grand scheme of things. So we're continuing to learn how to mitigate the spread, how to prevent having an outbreak in tar spot. So as we learn here, we're going to be reporting some of those findings, hopefully here with you on the Ag News Daily podcast. So please stay tuned at agnewsdaily.com and follow along with us as we share more information about the spread of tar spot this season and more information of course follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at ag news daily with that i'm gonna let the people go